This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming Ashley Warner, a family psychologist, all the way from Australia to our show today. Ashley is here to talk about conscious boundary setting. So a way to set boundaries that is mindful and conscious and not confrontational and yelling and punitive, but a more gentle and conscious approach to setting boundaries. In our show today, we're going to cover the six pillars of conscious discipline, the importance of boundaries with our children, how to set boundaries in an intentional and conscious way why it's so important to set boundaries in this way in order to maintain connection with your child and how to work together with your partner in order to set conscious boundaries. This episode is brought to you by Huckleberry. Huckleberry is a parenting app with the world's first real-time predictive algorithm for nap times that lets you know when your child will be tired but not overtired. It's sanity-saving, tantrum-reducing, and adapts as your child grows. Head to the App Store and download Huckleberry today. Available on iOS and Android. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode. I've done an episode on boundaries before, but it was boundaries in motherhood. And this is really a different approach on how we enforce and incorporate boundaries in a conscious, mindful way. So I'm really excited about this. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. It's exciting to be here. And thanks for making it work. We are on opposite sides of of the world and the time zones. So it's great that we could make it happen. Yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time to, I know it's a weekend. It's a Saturday morning where you are. It's a Friday night where I am. <laughs> I was sharing kind of off air before, um, how I'm sitting on the floor in the playroom. Dad's trying to wrangle the boys down for bed. <laughs> and here we are. I think that I'd, I, in this very moment, I'd, I think I'd actually much prefer be here in our interview. <laughs> <laughs> than trying to wrangle right. all three of the boys to bed. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. So I have followed your Instagram page for quite some time now. I love your approach to parenting, um, discipline, and boundary setting. So could you share for those who aren't familiar with you, like how did you come into this style of parenting or this style of work that you do? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I've been a practicing psychologist for about 10 years, something around that line. And I guess, you know, like so many of us, we think we know so much about life and parenting until we actually become parents ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I had my first child and realized that, wow, there's so much about this that I hadn't realized was about me. Like even as a, even as a psychologist, even doing this work with so many families, I 
I still felt like there was an element of this that I didn't get about how much this stuff is about us and how we show up in the world. And so I guess when he was born, that just kind of opened up a, a whole new realm of ideas and, and understandings for me. And so I was working in trauma at the time with uh, families who'd experienced family violence and, and sexual assault. And it just felt like work I wasn't quite ready to go back to in terms of being a mum. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I, I kind of need to marry these two things together. I need to you know, all of this stuff that we understand about the nervous system and emotional regulation, we need to be teaching that to all children and all parents rather than, mm-hmm. you know, after something terrible happens. So I guess I kind of took that approach and my learning of becoming a mom and how much this was about me and married those two things together. And um, this is kind of the work I do with families now. It's so interesting that you come from a basis of trauma. I come from a um, originally trained in like a CBT kind of environment, cognitive behavior therapy for those who um, aren't familiar. And so very behavioral approach at first. Mm-hmm. And then I had my own kids and I was just like, whoa, this is this doesn't fit for me because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the clinic work that I was doing was individual coping skills for the child themselves, like removed mm-hmm. and separate from the family unit. Mm-hmm. And to me, I recognized that I played such a part in the escalation or like the regulation or dysregulation in in situations with parenting. So my whole um, sort of model shifted as well in becoming a mom. But I love that you have this trauma background because you get to hold the parent's hand through healing themselves to help protect their kids, right? Like Mm. so many families that we work with and with all the research coming out about trauma now wasn't out like 20 years ago when their parents were parenting them. So you are really kind of bridging the gap for generations, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. You're so right. We didn't have this research. We didn't have this understanding of nervous systems and emotional regulation when our parents were parenting us. So it's so new and um, feels so foreign to so many of us because it, because it wasn't what we experienced or what, what was modeled to us. But yes, hopefully that's, you know, we're changing that and we're shifting that now that we understand a little bit more about the brain and the nervous system and how the body kind of holds on to memories and holds on to the stuff that um, we experience in early childhood. Yeah. And how we can reparent ourselves and heal ourselves Mm. through this parenting journey that we're on, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our children definitely call us to heal wounds and and shift patterns that we may not necessarily have been obvious to us prior to being parents. So it is really big, but also really beautiful and special work to be doing. It's um, beautifully messy, I say. Like, you know, like motherhood in general has a like a beauty and a chaos to it. And, and <laughs> Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. So in In setting up our conversation for boundaries, it's really important that we talk about conscious discipline. And you had mentioned to me um, before interview that you've got like six pillars to to conscious discipline. So can we unpack what that might mean for somebody who's new to this concept? Absolutely. I think that when I got into this work, I would hear a lot from families and parents who would say, oh, okay, they would take kind of one aspect of what they would hear. And so they would say, oh, okay, I use natural consequences, for example, that's my approach. And so one of the things that I realized we needed to bring into the conversation was that this has to be a holistic approach to discipline. It traditionally was, you know, very consequence reward based. And now I think a lot of us are moving away from that. But a lot of parents are feeling like, well, what do I do instead? What does this actually mean? And so one of the things that I really want to bring to this conversation is an understanding that it's not just one thing. It's not just 
natural consequences or it's not just boundaries or it's not that actually we need to look at it in a, in a bigger picture. And so mm. I guess through my work with families, I've come to understand that there are probably six pieces of the puzzle that I think are really important for all of us to focus on. And just from what we were talking about, the first one there is at parental inner healing. So us doing our own work. So us showing up and being able to recognize the patterns and recognizing the habits and recognizing the tendencies that we have and the triggers. Um, and I know you have that a lot in some of your other episodes, but just understanding and unpacking and working through that. And a bit like what you said, talked about reparenting. So that's kind of that idea is that we understand how much we bring to the relationship and that we work through our own stuff. That's a really important part of conscious discipline for our child. I find that that piece in itself can be really hard sometimes. Like I'm just drawing back on the previous clinic that I used to work in and the experience that I had there. There were situations where we kind of just wanted a fix, you know, or like sometimes we just want something to be uh, practical and easy and one, two, three, let's follow the method. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and I understand that things have to be tangible and they have to be accessible, but they're not, uh, we can't keep them outside of ourselves at the same time. Like this parenting, I've said it so many times on this podcast and I'll say it till like, you know, the cows come home that I had no idea that 95% of mothering was me regulating myself and dealing with my own stuff. Right. Um, so I love that that's a pillar for you and that you, presented in that way that it's a core kind of fundamental mm. because there there is a piece of us that is involved in this right yes absolutely and you're totally right it is messy and it is hard and it is not the same as a one two three step approach it isn't something that we arrive at either it's not something that we kind of tick the box and go okay I've healed myself or I've healed my wounds. There's no end point to this. This is just work that we need to keep doing along the side when we have the space and the capacity and not to feel guilty if we don't necessarily have space to show up for it at that point and not to have expectation that we will get to some perfection, some goal, and we'll be like, yes, okay, great. I've done all that work. That's kind of not how it works. It's just something that, you know, we do along the side as we go through. So I think that's a really important thing for parents to to hear as well, because I think sometimes they think, gosh, I have to, I have to be perfect and I have to get everything right and I have to heal all of my wounds. And that's just not the human experience. That's not how it's going to work. Yeah. Or like the sense of having to heal all of our trauma or all of our adversity mm. before becoming parents. And it's just yeah. like, it's just not, it's not linear that way. No. It's like no. every level of every level of life or every milestone, every new stage brings with it another level of healing, whether that's trauma, whether it's grief, right? So it's not exactly. such a linear process and it is something that we do walk out over time. Um, yeah. So perfectionism can can trip us up if we think mm. that it's a destination for sure. Exactly. So that's that's one of them that I think is really important. And then I guess the second one is that I talk about meeting inner needs. So in terms of if we're thinking about conscious discipline, we need to support our children to meet their needs. And that's obviously things are a bit more obvious, like hunger and fatigue. If you have a child who's hungry or tired, it's going to be really hard for them to be able to engage in the world in a very social and productive manner. So meeting inner needs would be a big part of this conscious discipline, a big part of this holistic picture. And that's also things like power and autonomy and control. 
So particularly if we're talking about young children, I think toddlers, they need a lot of that and they need a lot to feel like they're in control of their own lives. So how do we meet that need? Because that will, that's kind of putting the work in at the start that then means it's not so tricky at the end. We're not dealing with so many challenging behaviours. Mm-hmm. So that's a really important thing for us to focus on too. And the third one I would say is, well, and not that these are in any order, I think that they, they all need our focus, is emotional regulation. We can't really talk about behaviour and discipline unless we're bringing into that conversation the idea of emotions, which I know you said you did CBT and more of a behavioural approach originally, and that's kind of, that's this is almost the opposite of that. This is the idea that emotions really drive so much of what we do and so much of our behaviours and so much of our um, responses that we need to really understand that in children and understand about nervous system dysregulation and how when a kid is filled up with pent-up feelings that they're not necessarily going to engage in the world in the way that they can when they're feeling regulated. You said like nervous system regulation. Can you help us understand a little bit for the parent who might not know what that might look like if it's dysregulated? What does it mean to have their nervous system activated or something like that? Yeah, so there's a few different ways to look at it. And I think um, one of the ways that I try and explain it is like we almost have a window of tolerance. So we have a a space where our, our nervous system is integrated. So our brain is all integrated. Everything's kind of working well, so to say. And so that all of the data coming in, all of the sensory input, everything from the outside world that can come in, we can kind of handle that. We're ready for that. But if our body is feeling too, that's got too much energy in it or too many feelings, then what happens is we are kind of dysregulated. So we move outside of that window of tolerance. And that can look like our body really speeding up. So kids might be really aggressive or they might be hitting or pushing, or it can look like our body slowing down. So really disconnecting, hiding, um, pulling away. So there's different patterns that can occur and each child will have a different response according to you know how they're feeling and what's going on. But really understanding that when a kid moves outside of their window of tolerance, it's our job to help move them back in. And that's mm-hmm. a big part of that conscious discipline, that holistic discipline. Mm-hmm. That co-regulating with them and tuning into their needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A big part of how we do that is by regulating our own system so that okay. they can they can regulate off us. Okay. Oh, so the relationship is the other one, which is huge. You know, the ability for that our child to feel connected and attuned to us is really important in terms of holistic discipline. If we have a kid who isn't feeling connected to us, then again, they're not going to be able to engage with the world in a way that is at their best capacity. So making sure that, and again, I always say to parents, this is more about how they feel connected to us rather than what we think they should feel. So sometimes we're like, no, I've done this and I've done this. You, you know, they should be feeling connected, but it's about how connected do they feel to us? Um, mm. And that comes back to a whole, you know, almost everything else we're going to talk about today in terms of emotional regulation and meeting needs and being setting boundaries with respect. So all of those things come back to the relationship. But I think it's really important to articulate that that is one aspect because I think sometimes people hear in this respectful parenting world oh okay connection it's all about connection and so they they hold on to that and that is one really important piece but it's not everything Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. this is where I, I really like to outline okay there's lots of different things that we need to focus on and connection is really important and connection is the foundation of cooperation but connection isn't the only piece that's important so there's other stuff as well I think that's a really important point in lots of conversations that I've had with even like family and friends and sort of this 
I don't know, types of discipline get get placed in different camps, kind of, right, mm-hmm. on polar opposing places. And people who tend to be more authoritative, yeah, authoritative, not authoritarian, I always get them mixed up. I, but tend, I know. <laughs> yeah. But who tend to be more authoritative and very like my way or the highway, sort of maybe rigid in their approach, might look at more of a respectful parenting, gentle parenting, though I don't really love that term, but um, approach and think that it's very permissive, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's very mm-hmm. like, the parent is trying to be the friend over Mm -hmm. being the person who's actually like guiding and shaping. So I like that you round that out to say connection and uh, maintaining that connection is so important, but connection doesn't equal being permissive, right? And that's why we're really having this conversation today about Mm -hmm. how do we respectfully set boundaries? Because um, the authoritative parent and the sort of conscious, respectful parenting parent, like I'm trying to name the different camps kind of, of (laughs) they're they're coming at the behavior with the same goal. They may have the same boundary, but it's how they go about setting that boundary that is very different. Absolutely. And that's the point that will either, you know, maintain that connection or damage that connection, which in the long term is going to be what sets us up to have a really good relationship and a really good foundation or not so much. So that's absolutely really important is the way that we set those. And so then I talk about collaboration and problem solving. So one of the other things that I think are really important is that our children feel like they're on the same team as us. They feel like they're heard and they feel like that they that we are able to sit down next to them and say, okay, this is a tricky situation that's going on in the family. How do we problem solve this together? How do we sit next to each other side by side and collaborate on this? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I talk about with parents a lot is this idea that we need to be running a thread of similarity from the way that we treat our children in early childhood to the way that we want them to show up in adulthood. And I think that this collaboration piece is really important in that because this gives them the skills to be able to turn around when they're older in older relationships and collaborate and problem solve on the same team, not necessarily saying I have a better answer and I know what's best for you, but being side by side together and learning how in relationship to both get what each person needs. Yeah. And if you are in those early toddler preschool stages, that gives them an element of control in the situation that feels really good for them, right? Like they are, they're being respected or they're having input Mm. or they are being Mm. consulted or, you know, having these discussions. And that piece of control really gets that, that buy-in too. And and I, I want to say compliance, but that's not the exact word I'm looking for, but like it it gets that, thank you. It gets that cooperation it gets that buy-in from them um, as well and that's it and they all kind of meet together when we think about holistic discipline because so like you say that collaboration then feeds into them meeting their needs around autonomy and control which then you know helps with the relationship so it's all just flowing together it's not just one specific thing that we do And then obviously the last one is boundaries, which is what we're going to talk about today. So setting respectful boundaries and maintaining boundaries in a respectful way. And I love what you said before about how it's not that we don't have boundaries. The difference is how do we set them and how do we maintain that? And how do we do that so it doesn't damage connection? And how do we do that so the child feels respected? But it doesn't mean that we just let everything go. Yeah. And this is a really tricky one. Um, (laughs) It's it's. It's tricky for a lot of reasons that come to mind. Like I think about myself in a situation, for example, with the kids, if I'm trying to enforce a boundary and it's not going well, which 
I have three kids ages five and under. So it often doesn't go well. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like bedtime tonight before we were sitting down for this interview, I was like, I'm going to just go and sit for 15 minutes and ground myself because mm. I just can't, you know, um, it, it gets to be a lot. So what ends up happening in these moments is that we raise our voice Mm. or we yell, we Mm. become dysregulated and we become Mm. frustrated in trying to set a boundary. And I don't know that many families have had models of other ways of doing it. So I think this is such an important conversation. When we're talking about setting boundaries with our kids, can we just unpack a little bit what that might look like so that um, moms listening might kind of have some examples of what that might look like? Yeah, so that's a a great question because I think that it can be quite confusing in terms of what does it actually mean? What does this look like? And I guess the way that I look at it is it's the moment-by-moment limits that we will accept from another person. And the reason why I really like the word boundaries is because it is the word that we also use in adult relationships as well. So it feels like it's setting children up to have an experience of what it looks like in relationship to maintain and hold boundaries that then gives them that message of this is the way that they can go up and show up in their adult or teenage or childhood relationships as well. So that there's that real similarity. And so some examples might be throwing food off the table, for example, if that's that might be a boundary that that might be a limit that doesn't feel good for you. And that might be something that you maintain. So you don't allow that. So you might say to the child, you know, this doesn't, you know, there might be a conversation or depending if it's a toddler, when you throw your food off the table, it tells me that you're finished and now we're going to go and pack it up. So that might be a boundary that you set. Now, again, boundaries aren't things that there's no set boundaries that everybody has to use. So for some Mm -hmm. people, that won't be a boundary they care about. That won't be something that is important to them. So boundaries are really about knowing us and knowing what we need and knowing what we need in relationship and being able to stand up and set that and hold that authentically and with respect. Yeah, like when we've had conversations, like when I've had them in the past about boundaries in adulthood and in our adult relationships, it's teaching others how they can interact with us, right? Mm, Like how they can behave towards us, what they Mm. can say to us. It's teaching them Mm. how they can behave and interact with us in the world. And with our kids, it's much the same way that we're trying to, um, I feel like this is CBT language again, kind of like shape their behavior or like raise them in a way that is in aligned with our values. Mm -hmm. And that involves boundary setting. That involves me Mm -hmm. saying, I understand you're upset right now. However, you are not allowed to speak to mommy that way, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And hold that value and put that value in place in, in our home. Yeah. And the way that we do that, you know, we can either lean between we have a tendency to lean to either that rigid and controlling boundaries where we try and overprotect ourselves. So we become very controlling and this is the way it's going to be and there's no room for movement. Or we can kind of go the other way, which you talked about a little bit before, where we're quite loose and permissive and we don't and we don't set boundaries and don't put our own needs on the table. And and we're trying to find that middle balance. We're trying to show up, like you say, for our children to show them what it's like to have that healthy, fluid, but firm when necessary. When there's mm-hmm. a, a mark that's overstepped to say, actually, this isn't okay. Um, mm-hmm. And to, to show them how to do that in relationships so that then when they go into adulthood, they know that it's okay to say, actually, that's a line that's crossed and that's not okay. So I guess the question really becomes, how do we be firm and not yell? 
or not lose our cool, right? Like what does that what does that look like for people? And I guess in each age age range this changes a lot. So, you know, we might talk a little bit about younger children because I think that's both where we're at at the moment, but it it does look differently obviously for each parent and depending what they are. But I think the first thing is to understand your boundary. So, in order to not lose our cool, we need to really understand what boundaries are important to us. Which ones are negotiable and which ones are not negotiable? Because when we're a bit confused ourselves, then it's confusing for our kids and then they'll push boundaries more. So I think Mm. the first thing is to be really clear about, is this something I can be flexible on or is this a non-negotiable for me? And if this is a non-negotiable, then that's about then communicating that boundary. So being really clear with our child that this is not something that is going to be acceptable in our home or this is not something, and, you know, aggression is a perfect example of that. So kidding is hopefully a non-negotiable boundary for everyone that isn't going to be okay. So that might say something like, I can't let you hit. And then maintaining the boundary. So that's the third, third step. Is, might be like holding their hands or pulling them in for a cuddle. So we're not doing it from a dysregulated state. We're doing it from a calm and but firm. We're not actually allowing the behavior to continue. And you said, you know, how do we do that without yelling? Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a tricky one. And this comes back to that parental hearing um, healing that I was talking about. So mm-hmm. this idea that this whole approach to discipline isn't can't just be about boundaries. We have to be able to understand What is it in that moment that makes us feel so dysregulated? What triggers us or what wounds does this bring up or do we feel out of control? So what is it about that behavior or that moment that is making it really difficult for us to respond from a regulated space? Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. 
The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's zocdoccom slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. My brain is kind of bouncing back to something that you had mentioned about the rigid versus porous versus like healthy boundaries. And and this might be something that's helpful for us to live in for, for just a minute because we're talking yeah. about healing and we're talking about our approach to boundaries. And everybody has a different sort of boundary style or approach to different boundaries based on their family and their upbringing, right? Yes. Yes. And chances are that you and your partner within the same home have different ideas or approaches around boundary setting. I am like growing up, I had more porous or fluid boundaries, very open, very talkative, meeting strangers, loved closeness, loved like total oversharer all through my teenage years until I learned (laughs) to have more healthy boundaries. My husband is like the opposite. I swear we dated for like a year or two before I even knew like real true aspects of who he was deep down. Very different boundary styles. Mm. Now I'm seeing in a different way how I've had this conversation with adults a lot. I'm seeing how this very much plays into our parenting style where I might be more... um flex or easygoing on certain boundaries, he may be more rigid in those areas. So yeah, it's interesting. I've seen it in how we relate to others, but I haven't seen it in how we like parent and apply that to our children. And I'm sure you've had your fair share of conversations about butting heads on what should be boundaries, Mm. would you say? Like where to draw that line? Because we are so different in our partnerships. And that it is such a hard one. Um, and I think that's that really is about, like you said, it's really great that you understand where you and your husband both lie. I think that's the first step is really understanding where we lie on that continuum and where how we need to move. So I lie on more of that rigid controlling. Mm. Um, and so I need to move and be a bit more flexible in a bit. And my husband's the opposite. He just like you said, you know, he is more fluid and will let everything go. And so he needs to move 
the other way. There's no simple answer to this. This is the messiness of relationships, I think, that there's Mm -hmm. no kind of quick. We talked about that one, two, three step. Wouldn't it be nice if there was (laughs) some one, two, three step that we could both always get on the same page? But it really is just about understanding where we're at and I think the first step is always working on ourselves and focusing on our boundaries and focusing on us kind of doing the work. So I think we have a tendency to look towards the other person or to look towards the other parent and say they're doing it wrong or they're doing it differently. But I think the first step is always just going, okay, well, what could, how can I grow here? What can I do that moves me towards a more healthy, flexible middle ground? And then collaborating and having problem-solving conversations with um, our partners about why they see it in a particular way and why Mm -hmm. we see it in a particular way. And again, modeling what we want to be able to do for our kids and how we want them to show up in relationships. So having those really open conversations about, well, this is why this is really important to me. So I know my husband and I had to have these conversations a lot when my child was really young around safety. So he was much more like, okay, let's kind of interfere and, and make sure he's okay. And I was much more like, let's just let him figure it out. And you know, if we get a broken arm, we get a broken arm, we'll figure it out. And so we had to kind of come together and Mm -hmm. and how do we both get our needs met? How do we we show up here for our child so that one of us isn't terrified and anxious, (laughs) but that we're listening to both people and and we're getting on the same page? So it's not, I don't think it's an easy, easy conversation, but they're important. It's definitely not easy conversations to have, but worthwhile conversations to have in in the sense that I think about it as relating to several things. One, getting on the same page with your partner in terms of your values, because if you guys have a set of parental values as like a unit for your family, even if you're coming from more flexible boundaries or more rigid boundaries in terms of what you expect in your parenting and, and with the kids, you can be on the same page of like what the goal actually is in how you're approaching that boundary. And I actually have a um, a motherhood and a fatherhood roadmap that walk people through understanding their personal values, their parenting values, understanding what was modeled for them and how they want to keep some of that and maybe change some of that and really carving out their own parenting philosophy. Because I think that starting on a unified front in terms of having the same values is so important. And two, I think also, as you had mentioned, having these collaborative discussions about what the deal breaker boundaries are. And again, I think they're tied to our values, but like mm-hmm. what are the the make it or break it in terms of boundary setting in your home? Like we've got a very strict, like no spanking in our home type of thing. And mm-hmm. and so, like lots of families have different values on timeouts or time ins or, or what type of ways, boundaries around the type of discipline that they're going to use and boundaries around the types of behaviors and things that will be tolerated. And having those conversations and being on the same page is so, so important. And I love how you tie that back to values because that's exactly it, is that just, it comes back to us knowing who we are and what's important and really understanding that makes us, makes it really clear about which boundaries we feel like we should and shouldn't set. Sounds like you have like a bit of a step process in terms of setting boundaries. Can you walk through um, how you may go about setting a boundary or what what your thought process is around it? Yeah, so um, I guess I talk about deciding on your boundaries. So a bit like what you said, then linking them back to your values, understanding what's important for you, understanding what helps the house run and your family run in a way that's really important to you, and then communicating that boundary. And then I think you just mentioned we were talking about maintaining that boundary. Yes. So we did get a little distracted, didn't we? We were talking about maintaining (laughs) boundaries. So what does that actually look like? 
we haven't talked about this much, but I don't advocate for consequences and rewards and punishment and praise. And that's it could be a whole different conversation. And praise, I know. That's a whole thing. <laughs> that's a yeah. whole other one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the impact of the conditional approach that it has. And so it feels conditional to children. So we don't need to go into it too much, but just for those of you who might not have heard that, problem is that conditional love and that conditional acceptance. So we want to try and maintain boundaries without our relationship being in jeopardy at that point. So that looks really different. So sometimes that might mean like just giving the child a choice. So it might be something like, you know, do you want to put your shoes on or would you like me to help you? So there's just giving some room there, but knowing that the shoes need to get put on. Now I say choice and I need to clarify that it's not, (laughs) it's more like wiggle room. It's not really choice and it doesn't actually give a child a lot of feeling of power and control. It just gives them a little bit of space to be able to do it in a way that feels a bit more flexible for them. So Mm -hmm. obviously outside of maintaining this boundary, um, children need to have real power and choice in their lives. So I always need to clarify that when I say offer a choice, it's it's kind of more like wiggle room. So that could be an example. Sometimes it's about through play, like particularly if we're talking about young children, we know that they release their big feelings through laughter can be one really great way that they release big feelings and help regulate the nervous system again. So playing with them and not feeling like we have to be so serious when we're maintaining boundaries. So, you know, being able to say something like, oh, who's on the bench? That's it. I'm going, you know, if you're having a toddler that's climbing on the bench or something, I'm going to get every little toddler that's on the bench and going up and playing with them and laughing and Anytime you're getting a child laughing with you, that's a really great way for them to regulate the nervous system and release feelings of of a lack of power and control. So you can maintain the boundary in a really playful way. It doesn't have to always be serious. It doesn't Mm. always have to be, you know, I said this and therefore this is what needs to happen. It can be done in a lighter, more connective way as well. I'd never heard it put like that before, how like laughter in itself helps to regulate the nervous system. Mm. That's really interesting because I know um, a lot of the more authoritative camp is like if we engage during behaviors or if we, you know, lean into connection, how that might be a reward instead of extinguishing Mm. behavior, Mm. like this type of mentality, right? Um, But how if we can actually kind of sidestep the whole power struggle by some laughter, and some tickles and, you know, maintain connection, regulate and not buckle down for like a showdown or a power struggle. Exactly. Because then you're going back to, so I always say that the behavior is the symptom, right? It's not the cause. So we want to focus on addressing the cause. Otherwise, the symptom's just going to keep popping up in a different area. So you might squash down that symptom by being like, that's it, get off the bench. Uh, But then if that child feels overpowered or they feel disconnected from you or they don't feel like they have any autonomy in their life, then that symptom, that behavior is just going to pop up in a different way. We haven't Mm. actually met the underlying cause. So when we do it in a playful way and we allow children to release those feelings, so they tend to release them through things, through crying or raging or laughing. And when we get them to laugh and we get them to giggle and we're playing with them aware, then, you know, for the rest of the day, we're not going to have those same boundary pushings because Mm -hmm. the nervous system is a little bit more regulated. They're feeling a little bit more in control. They're, you know, feeling connected to you. So it just works on so many different levels. 
It's making me reflect on. So I definitely have a rager. <laughs> one of my three, <laughs> one of my three kids. I feel like his default is kind of to rage and a very different temperament than his other boys. And he's the middle and he's kind of squished in between two boys. All everyone happened really closely together. And he's kind of sensitive. So there is a very intentional boundary setting or boundary pushing and resisting that comes with him, like oppositional flair to it. And what I'm curious, and I get questions a lot from moms who feel that opposition is like kind of somewhat intentional. What would your take be working with kids who seem like they enjoy kind of stepping over the boundary just to get a rise or I don't know? Yeah, it does. It can feel like that. It can feel like they're doing it on purpose. And I would say it's it's a tricky one because in some ways, well, they kind of are. Like in some ways, they're calling us to do something. They're calling us to respond in a way. So mm-hmm. in some ways, like on purpose might be the right language, but it, it has a bit of a negative connotation. It has a bit of like that flair of manipulation when we say that. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I always try and come back to parents is that okay, maybe they're trying to get something to happen. Maybe unconsciously they are trying to get something to happen, but it's not out to get us or it's not out to cause suffering. It's getting there in a need met. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is that they need more connection or maybe it is that they have too many big feelings in their body and they just haven't been able to regulate and so they need a big release. And sometimes that does happen through rage. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they will push and push and push our boundaries until we set that so that then they can have the big release. So sometimes that, you know, it looks like it's an intentional boundary pushing, but it's actually to say, hey, can you just step up and lead here and say no so that I can have a big cry or I can throw my fists on the ground and I can get all of these pent up feelings out of my body and I can Mm. move on with my day. So that's one example that I think is quite common, but sometimes it it can look a bit like manipulation or, and and it's definitely far from that. Especially young children don't have the brain capacity to be able to manipulate us. I believe a lot in stepping back and scanning the context, like the Mm. factors that are at play Mm. and really trying to understand what the need is that's going unmet in those moments. And and chances are there is at least one, if not a few, depending on the situation, right? Tired, hungry. If you just even go through the physiological ones, Mm. there is likely something going on. Maybe bored, hasn't exerted enough energy, hasn't moved body enough today. Like there are lots of factors that do play a role in that regulation. And chances are if I step back in a situation with my son, something to do with that is at, at play. And then his temperament is also a little like, if he's not happy, no one else is allowed <laughs> to be happy. Like I also can be a grumpy guest, but I'm tired as well. And I own it and we talk about it and we all have our grumpy guest moments and he'll just say, I'm so grumpy today. Oh. He'll just wake up grumpy and he knows it. And and those days are more of like, they kind of, they can build into more of a meltdown or we can own our grumpiness and say, okay, what are we going to do here to get rid of grumpy guests? Like, what are we going to do together? So I do agree. The behavior isn't personal, though it feels personal sometimes, right? It feels intentional, not intentional, but it feels like I've just asked you many times, why can't you just do it? Or I don't know. It just feels we take it personally, right? When, when we don't, when we don't take a moment or we're kind of at capacity ourselves to stop and and scan and survey what, what the needs are in that situation. And we do, we, and, you know, I think we all do it. And that's, again, where it comes back to that healing work is where we can step back and try and put a bit more space in between our reaction and, you know, what's just happened because it's so hard not to take it personally. It is. 
mm-hmm. you know, that is the really hard work of parenthood. And, and to, you know, we also have to hold that. We can't take it personally and yet in some ways we have to take it personally because we have to see whether we're interacting with this in a way that's unhelpful and we could change something. So it is a really challenging thing to mm-hmm. not take it personally but at the same time do our own work to help the situation. And there was, I wanted to add in there you were talking about this kind of boundary pushing but sometimes too there's a concept known as counter will which is where children have this like inner instinct or inner drive to push back from what we're saying when they feel a little bit controlled and they need to do that in order to be able to individuate and to be able to find out who they are. So sometimes I think what parents are seeing is this natural counter will process where the child, you know, will say, okay, let's get your coat on. And the child will just go, mm, no. <laughs> and they'll just walk in the other direction. And you think, what? Yeah. I'm connected. They're, they don't have a lot of feelings. They've had lots of outside time. You're going through all the lists. There's just this, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's, you know, when they're just learning that they're separate from us and they're just learning that they are actually individual people, they feel like they have to protect that a little bit. And so there's this kind of inner drive inside of them that puts up a bit of a a wall and a pushback from what we're asking them to do. And that's actually a really important thing for them to be able to have because that allows them to individuate from us and to become Mm -hmm. separate people. So sometimes it's that instinct as well that's just playing out. And I think about my middle son and his his temperament, his personality very much being like that. Like, mm. I'm an individual. You can't tell me what to do. Mm. And he wants to wear the princess dress with his best friend for Halloween. And he wants to just be himself, do his own thing, which I see as the greatest strengths in him as an adult. But man alive mm. to parent. <laughs> I'm just like... Oh, okay. It's been a day. We woke up in a mood today. Like we're all on this ride and, you know, but it, that feistiness in him will take him so far at the same time. And then I think back at my own mom and I'm just like, oh yes, I'm sure she had to parent many a feisty (laughs) moments for me as well. So that's so important. I love that you point that out because, you know, what we want in our toddlers or our young children is not necessarily what we want in our and our children when they're teenagers and adults. So we want them to be able to stand up for themselves and say no. And we want them to be able to, you know, not do what somebody else is doing because their friends are doing it. But then when it comes to us and early childhood, we're like, no, no, but do what we want you to do. (laughs) We can't have it both ways. So Mm -hmm. sometimes we need to honour that spirit and that pushback and accept that, knowing that that's also going to be a really great strength as they get older. Before we kind of start to wrap up, I had one last question that had come up about, um, we were talking about deal breakers and boundaries, and then we were talking about parents having different boundary styles and the importance of having a boundary that we know is a deal breaker and sticking to it versus being wishy-washy in our boundaries. Can we talk about that? Because a really big thing that happens is we have, we start off setting a boundary well, this happens in our adult relationships too, right? Like we we have a boundary, we want to hold it. And then when there's pushback, like we kind of get worn mm. down or um, that boundary starts to kind of fade away. And that can create a lot of confusion for our kiddos and even create conflict in parents when uh, maybe a boundary should have been held or there's, you know, different ideas about that. So can we talk about the the importance of that? Like, do you find that it's very important to have very clear and distinguished boundaries and to approach the same boundary kind of, maybe not the exact same cookie cutter way each time, but to have that same expectation in each situation? 
Do you mean between um, parents or just for yourself? Like, are you asking about, do they need to be on the same page or do you mean parents just need to be consistent? I mean, just the individual who is like in the situation, right? Setting that boundary. Um, Because what happens is the child may know, oh, if I push a little further, Mm. this Mm. boundary kind of, the dam will let loose and the boundary will go. And um, we've been through this whole fight of trying to enforce the boundary, but then it kind of gives way. Yeah, I love that question. I think that's really important. And this is where I would distinguish between negotiable boundaries and non-negotiable boundaries and being really clear on what your non-negotiable boundaries are. So those are ones that you don't want to have too many non-negotiable boundaries in your family that will make it feel really rigid and and harsh to live in that environment. But the three non-negotiable boundaries that I think all families should have is that, you know, we need to be respectful to ourselves, we need to be respectful to others, and we need to be respectful to our environment. So that means basically not hurting ourselves, not hurting others, and not damaging any property or things. So those are the three that I think are pretty universal and probably need to be upheld by every family. And then there will be different ones on top of that, according to your own values, according to your own needs, according to your own triggers and wounds, but getting really clear on which ones fall into that category. And then they're the ones that you need to focus on upholding 100% of the time. Hmm. And it's the rest of the boundaries that you can go, oh, actually, I'm going to change my mind here. Or actually, that's a really good point. You know what? You can do that. I just, I reacted and I thought that that was important, but it's not important because then we show how to be flexible. But if we're not clear on which ones are non-negotiable boundaries, then we can fall into that habit of either, like you said, just letting them all go as soon as there's pushback. Or what I see other parents doing is going, oh, well, I said that, therefore I need to stick to it. Therefore Mm. I can't change my mind at all. Well, actually you can, you can show your child how to compromise. You can show your child that You know, you start by saying something and then you go, actually, you know what? That's not so reasonable. I'm happy to change my mind on that. So I think getting really clear on what our non-negotiable boundaries are and making sure that they're the, you know, five or six that we stick to 100% of the time is really important. It's interesting because the way you're explaining how it's actually important to take whether it's not argument because it's like the conversation to take pieces of what the child is saying collaboratively to reestablish the boundary potentially if it's an unnecessarily rigid boundary it sounds kind of counter a lot of what we're what we're expecting when we're talking about setting boundaries right because we do get this well I've rigidly set a boundary and now if I give in like some some of it is like worn away and after time we give in and that I see a lot with parents who have very spirited children who really can, you know, wear down a boundary. It's interesting to think about being able to collaboratively change a boundary. I'm like, I'm, I'm processing it out loud. Right? I agree. I agree with that. I'm trying to picture how that would look. And to me, um, just inherently something about that feels like a reward, right? It uh, feels like feels like letting off, feels like letting go, which I feel like a lot comes from like that behavioral kind of mindset that I'm constantly kind of checking and and having there. But there are absolutely times when with my oldest, who's very articulate and very smart, I guess it comes from actually talk your way out of things. Like, I don't know, the whole probably approach in even my own parents and how they approach boundaries. But, But he can make a good approach on, well, 
yesterday we did this and this person chose first and I chose first and did it. So can the boundary be this? And he can make a really great presentation hey, on yes, why the boundary yes. should be different. And he is absolutely right. And we do flex on the boundary, but yeah, I've never seen it laid out like that before. It's interesting. And I love that because I think that those kids should, should likely, if we, if we want to talk about it in terms of rewards, they should get a reward for that. I think that's a really good skill to have. And if we are talking about rewards and, you know, if like, let's say that we talk about it in that, that that could be something that could be rewarded. Not that I, I, I don't like that language. So, yes, but yeah. I think you know what I mean, that mm-hmm. if he's turn, turning up in relationship and he's learning how to advocate for himself and he's learning how to say, actually, I need you to reconsider that's a really healthy, flexible boundary. And that's where I think we need to really be able to honor our kids' needs in that respect and show them how to be flexible. Mm-hmm. But there are non-negotiables that we don't even enter into conversation around. Right. So we don't even, and I think if you've got that spirited kid, if you've got that kid that pushes back, then knowing what those boundaries are and being really clear as a family about what those non-negotiable boundaries are is really important for that those children. Mm-hmm. So they know which ones they can kind of advocate for themselves and test out but there's ones where they know mom and dad are going to stand really firm on this this isn't something we discuss this isn't something that is tolerated this is a non-negotiable yeah and for us in our home I feel like most things are on the table for discussion the non-negotiable is how we're going to discuss it like you're Mm -hmm. not going to come in here stomping and demanding and being disrespectful Mm -hmm. like if we can sit down and have you can be mad you can be upset, you know, uh, you can't be trying to hit your brother or you can't be, you know, throwing things at mommy like this type of thing. Um, so we're going to try to sit and cool ourselves down before we try and talk out what it is. And usually it's big hurt feelings or, or something. And when we kind of sit and hug it out and then, and then talk it out and know how to do it differently next time. So it's funny that that just brought up such an interesting kind of piece kind of tucked away back in my brain there, because we do model model this style of having flexible boundaries and discussing them through. But there is something that I think even in how we observe other people parent that like, it should be this way. Interesting. And I think as long as you've got, so I guess I just want to clarify because I don't want it to sound like I think that, you know, we don't have to have any, but as long as you've got those non-negotiable ones about respect mm-hmm. and those ones are not up for discussion, like you said, so aggression, coming in aggressive, that's not tolerated. Now, not yeah. that you're not going to hold space and not that you're not going to be compassionate for that, but you're not going to allow hitting or whatever it is. So as long as those ones are really firm, then I think the rest can be up for negotiation. The rest can shift and be fluid according to everybody's needs. Interesting to think about. Going to open up some conversations with hubby and I for sure. I feel like it's good. And we all, like our oldest, we have like a little negotiator on our hands. And when he makes a case and it makes sense and can't deny it, right? Like it just, it just, and then it's also models to them that we can say, you know what? You're right. And, and gives them that confidence rewards for lack of a better word, that assertiveness, that Mm. ability to use their voice, that ability to speak Mm. up for themselves. So very interesting. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time out. I'm so happy that we were able to organize this and make it work. If people want to find you, where do you hang out online? What kinds of things do you have on the go? I follow your Instagram. I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great to have these conversations. I could talk about conscious discipline all day. So I probably am most active on my 
Instagram, which is Raising Humans Kind, and also have a couple of online workshops around, specifically around conscious boundary setting. So a lot of what we've talked about today and also um, about more in-depth one about um, that covers emotional regulation and nervous system dysregulation and parental hearing and healing and stuff like that. So those you can find at my website, which is holisticfamilypsychologist.com. All right. And we'll make sure to link all of these things in the show notes. And if we ever want to unpack a topic of praise and rewards or something like that down the road, yeah, maybe we'll have you back for another discussion because I feel like lots of these can branch out and be big Mm. discussions of their own. So thank you for taking the time and we appreciate having you here. Thank you, Erica. It was great to chat to you. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.